Lisa, this fight, as you said, is pretty exhausting. There's different levels to it. We go from, you know, Kimila and Harrow and Gideon kind of pecking away at the construct trying to get to Kitharea. And then we get Harrow who like pretty much disintegrates or starts to like melt away the construct to the point where she's so proud of it that she looks back at Gideon and just says, I have bested my father, said Harrow, to nobody, staring upward at nothing, alight with fierce and untrammeled triumph. They were both lying supine on the pile of what felt like feet. I have bested my father and my grandmother, every single necromancer ever taught by my house, every necromancer who has ever touched a skeleton. Did you see me? Did you behold me, Griddle? <laughs> I highlighted that too. And then she passes out. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that line a lot because like, I can just like imagine her, imagine her like she doesn't smile often, but I can just like imagine her like looking over her shoulder like, yeah, yeah, did you see me? Did you see me? You see what I did? Mm-hmm. And she cares. But what, I think she's always probably cared about what people think she can do, but she's always cared what Gideon thinks of her in a different way and have her outwardly express it. It's just it's awesome. And then later when she comes back after being passed off, passed out and she says, step off, bitch. I was like, Fuck yeah, Harrow. Like this whole book, I was so much like, I love Gideon. I was like so much the whole book. I love Gideon. I, you know, Gideon's my girl. Harrow's kind of a bitch, but I can see them like they have a love-hate relationship and like you grow to love Harrow. But at that moment, I was like, Harrow, Harrow <laughs> in my head. I was like, come on. G- Gave me Molly Weasley vibes in, in uh, <laughs> book seven. She's like, not my daughter, you bitch. bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So- and then we get to the part where Camilla's back on Kithrae again, sticks with the pointy end, and Kithrae is just like, you can't hurt me. Nothing can hurt me anymore, Cavalier. And then cut to getting stabbed right to the back. And it's the most Ianthe thing to say in this moment. Spoke too soon, old news. Like It's, it's such a third house thing to say, or at least an Ianthe thing to say. And at that point, you're like, Oh my god, this fight has like layers and now Ianthe's entered the, the ring and she's technically a baby Lictor. She's she she completed, as far as we know, Lictorhood. So this is you know, now we have maybe we have a fighting chance. Um and it goes on for a bit between the two of them, which I think is pretty awesome. Um and Kithray and, and Ianthe are kind of bickering back and forth about like you know and it's funny because Kithray is kind of toying with her. She's like, Oh, I've always wanted a sister, I can't wait. And Ianthe's like I've already had a sister. It didn't work out the first time. Like, didn't work out. <laughs> it's, I, just, I love that they, the two of them kind of like feed off each other in a way that's like they're not getting to each other, but they're both all very similar in terms of how they brag and how they like they talk about. They're kind of like they're talking calmly and and kind of snarky while having this epic battle. And you know, they're doing blood magic. She's melting uh, the construct with her blood shield, which is pretty cool. Um, but then we get to a point where Iante gets knocked out after i mean it's a it's a pretty decently long fight between the two of them did you guys have any feelings about ianthe like you know at this point coming back to help them um were you excited to see her or nervous that she was going to take uh dulcinea well kithere aside i i was excited i was i was just saying like it, it with this chapter being as long as it is um and although we lost most of the people i feel like it gave time to get to be with a different character besides Gideon and Harrow for a minute and actually like see their personality and like see how they are, Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was like a nice touch for this chapter. Yeah. I'm glad that they got the fight together, not alone because Camilla was there, but I I like that we got to see them 
really in action together for a decent amount of time where it didn't feel like because if I got to the end of the book and that didn't happen, that would be a complaint that I would have. Like, oh, man, I'm kind of bummed that they finally got their shit together and never got to show it, you know? Yep, I would actually say I was actually excited to see AFA show up. I think once AFA, like, put you know put the sword through uh, Kitharea, you kind of knew what side that she was mm-hmm. on at that point. Yep. You know? Old news. Um, and... Yep, exactly. I also like the way that Gideon described their 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 fighting as so fast that you could barely like the the the, the naked eye could, could barely keep yeah. up. So that was kind of cool. Which is like you know it's like Dragon Ball Z style when the super. I yeah, was gonna say Dragon Ball Z or Super Smash Brothers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so we move towards the end of this chapter and the end of this fight where they they start to to lose here. It seems like it's just never ending. The construct is rebuilding itself. Harrow's still passed out, and um, Yanthe gets soul siphoned, and we actually get to see Kithrea using Seventh House Necromancy, which we haven't seen the whole book. We've only heard about it for Dulcinea and, and heard about it through the other houses. We actually watch her like siphon Yanthe like a raisin to the point where her eyeballs like roll into her skull, like it, like are stuck inward, and that gives her more power to heal herself. Um, because she's like literally decaying because, you know, the, the as Gideon describes it, turbo cancer that sex has gave to her. And she rips off Yante's arm while she's down because she's basically like, oh, you're going to live, but you don't need to be a threat right now. So she's in the middle of doing it. I think she actually slices it. Like, she makes it like a, a, a cleaver come out of her fingers, basically, her hand, and uses it to chop off Yante's arm, which is wild. A sword arm. And we're and she's about to continue with the rest of her limbs when uh, Gideon and Camilla jump in, and once again throw their bodies into it. Yeah, these knees. I'm sorry, Gideon's knees busted. Camilla's all cut up because she has a spear through her shoulder, and uh, they both kind of go down. And we're thinking this is going to be it. And then Gideon gets tossed in the. I think I think at one point Gideon gets tossed in the air, and she says something like, uh, "It cracked me up." Where the fuck is it? She's like, "Oh my she fucking says god!" Like- or something like that. Yeah, she says it like kept it made her like hurt, but kept it from being an obituary or something. Like, what's that line? That was before, though. I think that is that right now. That was before she hurt her knee, though. That was back. That's before she hurt her knee. That's how she. Hurt yeah, her yeah, knee. yeah. You're right. That was in the first part. Of, yeah, that was in the, the before the uh, yeah. beginning of the first fight. I, I was thinking when she got tossed in the end, she's like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> that, that part killed me. <laughs> but it, at one point, when they're um, when Gideon kind of pulls them all aside. I think it's before Hera helps them. I like that we get this little moment where Camilla is like, did he say anything to you? Did, did P- Pal say anything to you before the end, essentially? And uh, he's like, he, he said to tell you he loved you. It just cracks me up because it's like such a Gideon empath thing to do to assume that's what he probably wanted to say to her. And she's like, what? No, he didn't. <laughs> that part always kills me. Mostly on reread. but So let's get to the end here. Just like a child, all your best moves first, and that's when Kithere knocks down Ianthe. After Ianthe really thinks she's on top of it, it slices out the arm. The construct is uh, smashing into this this bone, uh, um, similar to what Harrow hit herself in earlier in the book, but more like more of like a sphere. As like the roof is coming down, the construct is trying to smash into it. Half the building is exposed to nature, to the, to the you know the blue sky outside. Yeah, you can see the, the bushes outside in the terrace, the garden. 
and uh, it's at this point that they're starting to accept that they're probably not going to make it. And Camilla tries to convince Gideon to take Harrow and leave. And Gideon's just like, not happening, not doing it. And I'm definitely not going to get haunted by Palamides ghost <laughs> haunting me with lectures about science the whole time. What were you guys thoughts in this moment when they were under the shield? Uh, clearly battered, beaten and broken, but probably this is like their last, um, what's the word? They're kind of like the Alamo, their last stand. I thought it was a really beautiful moment. Um, I thought it was a nice like break of like even just like a few paragraphs from like the constant fighting that has been this entire chapter to then step away under this like you almost feel like you're in the bubble of which Harrow has created to get to like watch this like moment happen. Mm-hmm. What about you, Junior? I agree with Lisa. It was definitely a moment for a break and um, just kind of basically hearing like everybody's like not last wishes, but almost like last words of mm-hmm. wisdom, uh, I guess camaraderie. Cause this is who you're going to die with basically mm-hmm. is what it seemed like in the very end. Um, and I just liked the selflessness that was happening. Like everybody was trying to, be the last person to, to stand there and yeah. save, each save other. everybody else. Exactly. Everyone's trying to be the hero for each other, but they're also like extremely bad or broken. Harrow's on the verge of yeah. passing out. She's holding up the shield with the last of the energy left. Getting his knees busted, shoulders cut up. She's been stabbed. Same thing with Camilla. They're, they're in their last stand, but in no condition to even really put up much more of a fight. Um, and this whole time, you're not really seeing Kitharea. She's in pretty rough shape before we saw her. It's mostly the construct that we're hearing is trying to break into the shell. Yeah. Um, which I, I didn't really notice. It's something that bothered me on my first read. But on my second read, I was like, oh, it's, I kind of like that we don't know what's happening in because it keeps that mystery of like, is she healing right now? Are they, are they, is that, are they going to drop the shield? And Kitharea is like, you know, so it's like when you're fighting a Dark Souls boss and you don't realize they have like another red bar and you, you kill them and then the health goes back to full and you're like, no. It's kind of what it reminds me of, actually. <laughs> I thought it was very cinematic, too, because it's almost like that moment where things have really, you're in a really high emotional state, and then you just get this moment of calm, and you can hear the impending doom, like literally wham, wham, wham. Yeah. Like you can hear it, but you're just in that dark, small moment with these characters like junior was saying this is it this is who you're gonna die with Mm -hmm. and it starts it really kind of lets that emotion and the that sense of final finality sink into the reader in a very like kind of cinematic way yep it's like being in the trenches in vietnam not that i would know anything about that but go with me here on this you know like some of those old movies where like they're in the trenches and they hear the bombs going off and then everything is just like you were saying um emily like everything kind of goes quiet but you can but everything is muffled anything that's happening outside doesn't really matter in the moment because you're really just kind of accepting your fate at that point in time and mm-hmm. maybe there's an inkling of that you guys will somehow be able to overcome this and, and get out of that situation mm-hmm. so on first read my thought was they're all gonna die mm-hmm. like mirror's gonna kill well, it's, everyone it's in that moment that it's silent in this fear and we get this last bit of conversation, this, this, you know, kind of beautiful moment between Harrow and Gideon. And it's a kind of a moment that you, you want to happen in other movies and books and stories where the characters at this last stand moment. And it's either a big speech that happens or like characters don't get to have those 
unsaid words, but Gideon and Howard, they're, they're past unsaid words now. They're all about all the said words now. And I love that we get to the line of, Nav, she said, have you really forgiven me? Confirmed. They were all going to eat it. Of course I, of course I have you, bozo. I don't deserve it. Maybe not, said Gideon, but that doesn't stop me from forgiving you, Harrow. You know, you know I don't give a damn about the locked tomb, right? You know I only care about you. I'm no good at this duty thing. It's, I'm just me. I can't do this without you, and I'm not your real cavalier primary. I never could have been. Gideon the Ninth, first flower of my house. You are the greatest cavalier we have ever produced. You are a triumph, the best of all of us. It has been my privilege to be your necromancer. And I think in that moment is when Harrow with Camilla have accepted this is it. Like, we're, we're about to die. Camilla's is that she's kind of someone that's always on her toes and moving. And for a moment, she stops and kind of and rests. Maybe she's doing a prayer. Maybe she's thinking about pal. You're not really sure. But that's her moment of acceptance. Uh, and so as we wait for the shield to drop, something unexpected happens. Gideon starts to talk about angles and fuck it, we're not dying here. Harry, I can't keep my promise because the entire point of me is you. You get that, right? That's what Cavaliers sign up for. There's no me without you. One flesh, one end. A shade of exhausted suspicion flickered over her necromancer's face. Nav, she said, what are you doing? For the knife, said Gideon. I'd like to say, I think a few episodes ago, you asked us what we were thinking for the end of this book, and I think I do want to call out that I predicted Gideon would die. You did. Pretty early on. But I mean, that's a... Yeah. Did you imagine it would be like this? Um, yes. Not necessarily exactly like this, but I had a feeling it was, like I didn't think that Gideon was just going to get like stabbed in a fight and die. Mm-hmm. I had It was going to be some sort of sacrifice for Harrow. Yes. What about you, Junior? Did you see that coming? I did not. I'm not sure what was going to happen. I just felt like somebody was going to die out of the four of them. I just didn't think it was going to be Gideon. Mm-hmm. I I honestly, on my first read, was in the same camp. I was so enamored over Gideon. And I am a Harrow stan, but I love them both. And whenever I talk about my main characters, several of which I can't mention yet until we get to the second book, but Gideon and Harrow sort of share the same number one line. I can't. Just like the way Gideon talks and the way Harrow talks, I can't conceive of a world where one is above the other. I love them both equally and for two different reasons. But one thing I was certain of on my first read was there's no fucking way Gideon's dying until they started talking about what Lurta Hood is. And then I started having that fear you get when you're watching a movie and you you, you think it, something might be happening and you're like, oh, please don't be that because, yes, that would be really good and beautiful, but it's going to break my heart. And then the... The story kind of avoids it for a while, and then we get to this point of a last stand moment, and you're like, no, Gideon, don't do it. And, of course, she does the thing. So, go ahead, go ahead, Lisa. I also, the only reason that I knew, not that I knew, or that it was more that I felt Gideon was going to die in this one, was because I already knew that Harrow the Ninth was a book. Mm-hmm. That's fair. See, I when I first read it, I did not know that, because I read it, like, a month after it came out and um man let me tell you what Muir <laughs> had put us through this roller coaster of a book 
the emotions are high you're I I felt like I was like rushing through this fight scene because I get very like caught up in the fight scenes and so I kind of just like headlong rush through them because it's just you're like what's gonna happen what's gonna happen what's gonna happen and when you get that cinematic moment of like calm everything kind of gets muffled in the background and Gideon just is like yeah fuck it I'm gonna get us out of this and you're when she jumped off and threw herself onto the spiked, you know, fencing, I was pissed. <laughs> I was furious. And it had, like, my husband, when he read it, he's like, he said in his mind, he was like, yeah, Gideon, like, he knew she stepped up and did what needed to be done. But I was so in love with Gideon that I was just like, no, no, like she can't die in this book. Like what this this whole book has been her. It's been through her point of view. Her name is on the book. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, this is her book. She cannot die. And so at that point and then all the emotion that comes along with it, with her and, and Harrow kind of having these calm moments together, heart to heart. And then, of course, the next chapter, really. Mm -hmm. I knew Harrow was safe even before knowing that Harrow the Ninth was the second book because Harrow has too much unfinished business and the whole book revolves around this Lichterhood process. And originally, once they found out the truth about Lichterhood, my thought was, okay, they're both going to make it out barely. The, the end of this book, they'll, res- they'll resolve their issues. And then the next book, they're going to work towards possibly a different solution to making it so Harrow can be who she needs to be for her house. But her dying... It would just kind of the whole thing would be null and void because she is the secondary main character, but it's still like she has too much importance behind her to be killed like this. But I also didn't think it would be Gideon either because Gideon's so beloved right from the first page, and so that's generally a character that you're like, oh, this is like Tyrion Lannister. I know they're going to be safe because they are the not necessarily the fan favorite, but they just they hit your heart deep, and I think. That's probably why it happens this way and why Muir... I'm glad that she didn't pull that punch because it makes it so much more beautiful and more impactful, especially when we dip into the next chapter, which I guess we can do now unless you guys want to add any more thoughts before we go into the the final shorter uh, conclusion of this fight. Yeah, I did have one thing to add. I just felt like, you know, after all this time, because I'm a Gideon lover as well, I truly felt like I lost a friend, a friend who made me laugh, uh, you know, had all these like witty comebacks and things like that. And to lose her in the end, it was a little bittersweet. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. How about you, Lisa? What were your thoughts losing Gideon in this moment? Um, Because I was kind of like suspecting it to happen. Um, It didn't like. Like, it still hit. It still hurt. Mm -hmm. I still read that and was like, God damn it. Like, it was like one of those things where it was like, I was right, but I didn't want to be right. Yep. Moments. Um, But, I mean, I'm hopeful because there's, I haven't read Harrow yet, but then there is Nona and the next one that Mm -hmm. I don't obviously know what happens, but I am hopeful. So... That hope, I think, is what got me through my first read of the pain, where Emily doesn't really make theories or think about like what might happen, not necessarily next, but what the future might hold for her story. She's very much similar to Amy, where she's getting all of her feels in the moment. For me, I was like, I can't, no matter how hard I try, I can't avoid the knowledge that I have about what necromancy is and about the fact that this whole book is both an allegory for 
Christianity in a way, but not in a preachy way. It just happens to be that there's a lot of Christian imagery and resurrection imagery and that necromancy is about raising the dead and reanimating the dead. And there are characters that can speak to spirits. So I didn't know if any of these things was going to be relevant to what could happen to Gideon or anyone that's passed in the story. I'm not, not just Gideon, but everyone that's died, but it was part of this little glimmer of hope that I had reading Gideon where like it hurt still just as bad for it to happen because their body is, she's gone in this moment. But like I, I clung to that hope all the way through this first book. There's the, the last chapter in the epilogue of just being like, please, 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 please don't, don't let this be, let it be a stupid twilight moment where they, and that was one character that can see into the future five seconds earlier. And then they did something different and Gideon's okay. Like I was really clinging to something either abstract or just the fact that necromancy is literally about bringing things back from the dead. And even though we didn't get it, at least not in the next chapter, it was still something I clung to myself to for, for hope, both in both reads, really, even with knowing what I know now for the rest of the story, it's still, I think it still hits just as hard. And I know Emily, you were a mess yesterday when you finished this chapter because it hits you the same way it hit Amy, I think. This is the chapter that Amy was crying very hard in our kitchen, and our roommate came home and was like, is she okay? I mentioned this in the, uh, a special guest episode we had. And I was like, yeah, she's reading, reading a good book, <laughs> which is like kind of ridiculous to say, but like it's also like beautiful. I love when, when art can hit you like that. A good movie, a good book. Those empath fills coming through. Right. Big Hufflepuff energy. Yeah, I yesterday I finished reading it and I just was crying. Um, it's still, it's still, it really, really, really hurts. And when I first read it, I was really bitter because I don't make theories and I like I didn't have that glimmer of hope, you know, reading it. And I mean, I still cried yesterday. And, I mean, Gideon died. Yep, <laughs> it, it it fucks me up every time too. It hurts again. It hurts again. And I, you know. It, I think Mir does a really good job writing it, but you know, the first time I read it, I was very bitter <laughs> and I definitely did not pick up Harrow for like when it originally came out. Like I picked it up a few months after I was kind of dragging my feet mm-hmm. because I kind of felt forlorn and cast like adrift without mm-hmm. Gideon, which I think kind of leads nicely into the last chapter. It does. So let's jump into it. Chapter 37 prospectus. There is no time for Harrowhark Nonagesimus to process her pain. Gideon, seemingly inside her, directs her on how to fight the colossal bone construct with her sword. Harrow is in hysterics over Gideon's sacrifice. Gideon tells her to suck it up and mourn for her later. She teases Harrow about her taste in dead women. Harrow swings Gideon's sword, and Kithraea may be a tough thousand-year-old lictor but with the cancer and the stabbing in the swords, she can no longer keep it together. Moving as though they are of one flesh, Harrow stabs Kithere in the chest and she dies. Harrow gently removes her dead cavalier from the iron spikes, lays her on the grass, and sits down next to her under the big blue sky of the first house. I felt like I got emotional when Gideon thrust herself on the spike and I got even doubly so emotional here because she wasn't gone. She was there in Harrow and she's talking to her. And then as the chapter progresses, 
her presence is getting more faded. She describes it as like a fever that's dying down. And like, I don't know what it was about that imagery, but I could, I, I felt it. And like when she's helping with the sword in the beginning, anyway, she feels Gideon on her. She feels her cheek against her cheek and her hand on her hand. And that starts to fade as you assume, maybe either this hallucination is ending or they're becoming one. And I, it, it didn't hit me until Gideon yells at her to stop looking at her. Cause at first I was like, how did she, how would she look at her? She's like, the, the, the wouldn't work. And it's because Harrow can't stop looking back at Gideon's body. And that was like, I remember being, I was like still in target. I'm pretty sure I was like at the checkout and just like, like I had to like stop what I was doing. Just like, I need to like sit in this for a minute. It was just a mess at that, from this point on. But I also love all the Gideonisms that happen throughout this, ch- this final chapter, this short brief stint we have this last stint we have i also love that the chapter of skull is getting with the glasses for the final chapter which is amazing but we just get you know getting right out the gate okay said getting okay get up good stick heavy you you can stop screaming at any moment now just fyi now first make sure nothing is going to ice camilla i meant it about not wanting an afterlife subscription to preliminary sexist top nerd facts it's like it's for someone who just killed themselves high spirits but of course an only way that Gideon can be and did Junior or Lisa feel any emotions when you turn the page by the way we're in act five which is one chapter long plus a prologue uh, epilogue when you got to chapter 37 did you feel anything when you when you read that first line what were your immediate thoughts and feelings well because they kind of mentioned before if the cavalier sacrifices themselves then the necromancer can like absorb them. So like my immediate thing was like, I mean, it says she fell onto the spikes at the previous chapter. So I'm like, she's not alive. So at this point I was already like, she has to be hearing her. She sacrificed herself and she did what she had to do. Um, So like, I didn't, I wasn't like, I've had moments in this book where they, where the first line of the next chapter has made me question what I just read at the end of the previous one. But, and like, I've gone back and be like, no, 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 I read that right. I'm I, like, and it, I had to continue reading to figure it out. This one, like right away, I just was like, she, she hears her. That's not actually, she's not like groggily, like get up, like from right. the spikes. <laughs> oh God. Oh, God. <laughs> um, no. So what are your thoughts then on, in the previous chapter when Kitharea made a comment to Ianthe when she said, you're not a, f- you're not fully cooked yet. Essentially you're still in the process of alert to hood he or they are fighting back inside of you. Did you think about it? Like, that's something that Kithrae said to Yanthe um, in the last chapter. Did, did, is that something that you carry with you into this chapter when Gideon's talking, or did you kind of perceive those things as two different, um, uh, not methods, but it's different, um, I guess, angles of the same story? They were two different. Yeah, they were different to mm-hmm. me. I didn't read into them the same way. Yeah, I would have to agree. I didn't read into it that way either. But then it kind of gives me second thought and ponder like, hmm. Well, it's interesting because maybe there's a, a connection leading into like the next book or, you know, what could potentially happen down the road now that Gideon's inside of Harrow. Yeah. Well, we know that Yanthe says that she took Babs forcefully. Like he didn't want to be absorbed. Like she murdered him. Yeah. Like I think that that was like a thing too. Like I was like, because they kind of said that um Ianthe was gonna be a lictor but I was like but Babs didn't like Gideon sacrificed herself she willingly did that 
for her necromancer. So that was my thing on Niente. I was just like, oh, she said that because she didn't go about it the proper way. She was, she didn't get like, it's almost like you got like half points for that. Like you, you, you they're, yeah, they're gone and you absorb something, mm-hmm. but it wasn't willingly given. You're still fighting to get that. Yeah. There's my sword. Gideon said, pick it up, pick it up and stop looking at me, Dick. Don't, don't you dare look at me. That was the moment that I started crying in the middle store. Your arms are like fucking noodles, said Gideon, disprovingly. I'm a necromancer, Nev. Yeah, well, I hope you like lifting weights for the next myriad. All these lines, just like this banter between them, it's the same banter we've had the whole book, but it's something about it makes it both funny and devastating simultaneously, especially as Gideon's starting to fade away into her a little bit. I cannot do this. You already did it. It's done. You ate me. Rebuilt me. We can't go home again. I can't bear it. Suck it down, said Gideon. You're already 200 dead daughters and sons of our house. What's one more? And then you get Harrow's uh, a pretty impactful and well-loved line in the locked tomb community where she says, I cannot conceive of a universe without you in it. And you're just like, fuck. It's pretty profound and i think uh yeah that's just like that really hits that really hits hard and it it really is a good way to explain or just convey the depth of emotion and the very specific relationship that gideon and harrow have I think so too. that they all they've had their whole life growing up in childhood adolescence now through this is each other really mm-hmm. and some dead aunts you know or some some old ancient aunts and crux and i glaminate but like th- this is really it the, and that's what she's saying basically is i really literally cannot conceive of a universe without you in it i think like, i think it was the the don't leave me at the end that got me mm-hmm. that i was just like god damn it yeah that one's brutal too. yeah yeah it was definitely a very um heart uh warming moment um and it's kind it kind of sums up also, like if you look at it on the other side, uh, shows that Harrow, you know, even though I thought she was a bitch the, like, for the majority of, of the book, she she does have a heart somewhere in there. You know what I'm saying? And you could take it two ways, as we just talked about it. But we could also say that she literally, now that she realizes that she did have a friend in Gideon this entire time, she really didn't get to experience it except for this experience going to the building. And that's what kind of sucks for me. And that's what actually got me because it's like you guys could have been friends all along mm-hmm. given everything that you've gone through. And so that was kind of like, damn, like it was a, I don't want to say a missed opportunity because they, they, they did get to spend time together, but it could have been so much more to that relationship. Their life growing up would have been completely different if they had just com- yeah. you know, properly communicated, maybe worked on their mental health a little bit but that's neither here nor there i think it's a it sends a good message about communicating with your friends too i think and people that you care about um because it unlocked a whole part of their relationship and their friendship that could have been explored and it is bittersweet that like it's it's happening now and it's too late to really explore for them but i like that in this moment they still have that banter and they still have this closeness which was giving me hope you know, after Harrow delivers that beautiful line, like immediately after Gideon's just like, yes, you can. It's just less grass. Yes, you can. It's just less great and less hot to Gideon. Fuck you, Nav. <laughs> Some of my favorite lines. Um, but then also Harrow Hark's mouth said, ready for round three or four, I think. I lost track, which is weird because like Gideon literally said that line like moments ago in the fight. I, I love that those two things repeat um, in this chapter. 
but of course we find out that Kathrae is like about to be she's I like that she's not still super strong in this moment. She's pretty decayed and pretty busted and they just need to get this final move right. Kathrae is the, the turbo cancer is going to get to her. That that's ultimately what kills her. It's just Gideon and Harrow that send it home. And I love that Harrow says out loud, Sexus was a marvel. Like she actually acknowledges the fact that he really is. Me too. A phenomenal necromancer. Uh, and then Gideon again. Too bad you didn't marry him. You're both into old dead chicks. <laughs> <laughs> so, in closing this episode, because I think it, for me, it's a sad, bittersweet episode because it's the, it's the end of the book with the, all the, there's so much more to, to learn and, and talk about in, in future episodes and the next books, but at least going into the end here before Hera Hark, with the help of Gideon, uh, now gone Lictor, we assume, uh, plants Gideon's sword through the chest of Kithraea into like essentially the tumor in her lungs to defeat her. Um, we get this really beautiful moment where Gideon repeats one flesh, one end. And uh, Lisa, would you like to read the last quote on page 438 from Gideon where she reads essentially a prayer of sorts from the ninth house and then adds her own little flourish at the end. The land that shall receive thee dying, in the same will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so, and so to me, and add more also, if aught but death part me and thee. Said Gideon, see you on the flip side, sugar lips. Which I thought was going to be your favorite line in this chapter, because it kills me every time. The the sugar lips was good, I liked that one. (laughs) And there we have it. They plant the sword, Kithraea topples over, and it also kills me that at this point, Harrow just drops the sword, doesn't really even care to check if Kithraea is super dead, and just runs over to Gideon. Gideon takes her off the pike and, and just lays there beside her you know, under the sky. It just, ugh. It, the fact that this is where the book ends, and granted, we get some more in the epilogue. We definitely get some, I won't say resolution, but there's more story happening. But the fact that the book ends, the last chapter is that last moment, it fucked me up good because I thought this book being this thick with this many characters was going to go to the next location. There, there, there's going to be a little bit more. The fact that it's this controlled of a story and uh, an isolated incident like this, it just, it does have that haunted gothic palace or castle in outer space vibe where it does have that, it's not simple. It's definitely not simple, but it has like this conclusion that feels very cinematic, but also contained and that's something that i was not expecting when i first picked up the book and something that i felt the first time but not so much the second time i i felt more hopeful the second time but then again i've read ahead so you know that's probably why but in conclusion here junior lisa you have finished getting the ninth sans the epilogue which we will talk about on our next episode before we wrap up here because we run a little long but these chapters are pretty emotional and very long themselves and it didn't feel right to push our way through them i think in the editing and this is for a future nick i'll probably split these up and do part one part two and just post them together and that way no one's listening to a two, you know to our podcast lisa and junior you finished getting the ninth the first book in the lock tomb series by tam samir how do you guys feel? What are your thoughts on the book as a whole? And we'll go more into this in the wrap. I don't want you to go deep. Yeah, I think we should save that for the wrap, no, though. No, no, not deep diving. Just tell me how you feel at the end of these chapters, because the wrap-up is going to be about the book as a whole and about the epilogue. My question to you guys is how do you feel now, having finished 37 by the end, by the end of that chapter? Um, I'm sad. 
I'm also <laughs> like Perfect. I don't want I don't want to I don't want to say relieved cuz like relieved is not the right word, mm-hmm. but like I'm sad that it's over but like happy that I know. Relieved that I now know. I feel like every listener whether there's a reread or their first time reading is going to die when they hear the first words out of your mouth be I'm sad because that's pretty much how all of us felt when we finished the book. Like <laughs> unanimously, I don't think anybody finished it and was like, "Hmm, good book. I feel good about this." Like, yeah, you, 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 it's kind of like Harry Potter in the movie where he's like, uh, what, does, "What does Ron say about the tea leaves?" He's like, "You're gonna be, you're gonna suffer, but you're gonna be happy about it." <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, I will say that um, the majority of the the questions that I had surrounding this mysterious universe were answered but now new questions have cropped up so i'm excited to see what happens in the next book um i too was very sad and again i was kind of made fun of because i said i was sad after reading or listening to the to the last chapter and buddy said "Uh, she's just a character i said you don't understand you don't even listen to the podcast so shut up (laughs) Tell them off. But, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it makes me not sad for certain people that can't have that experience, but I hope that one day everyone can feel what it feels like to be so attached to a good book. And and when stuff like this happens, I felt this way with the seventh Harry Potter book. I kind of felt this way with Return of the King the first time I read it, but not, not really. I definitely felt this way about Red Rising, the book series by Pierce Brown. Um, but still, none of them hit the way this book did. And I don't know if that's just... I mean, it is me personally, obviously. But it, it really wrecked me for weeks afterwards. Where I was still thinking about it. And Amy was the same way. Granted, I'm more of like a sympath. Amy's more of an, as a super empath. It was like days where she would just cry at her desk at work. and stuff. Just being really... like She carried that weight for a while. And I think that's beautiful. Even though it's a sad thing, I think it's beautiful when a piece of art can affect um, the readers that way. And granted, if you didn't have this reaction to it, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it just wasn't either for you or it wasn't, you know, it didn't impact you the same way. But when it does... You just don't have no soul. <laughs> <laughs> when it does hit you this way it, and you you look at the other person across from you or next to you, that it also hit them the same way. I don't know. It kind of the the locked tomb community has really shown me a different level of kinship um, that I've never experienced with a different book series, and I'm just I'm happy that I get to share that with you, Junior, and with you, Lisa, and I look forward to your thoughts on the epilogue, and I look forward to seeing if you guys continue with the series. But for now, Emily, do you want to say anything before we close? I'm just sad again. <laughs> Same as Lisa. I think like Amy. What is this? The fifth time I've read it now. You yelled at me yesterday. I, I know, cause I was crying, and you were just like, "Ha ha ha!" <laughs> it, it wasn't that kind of laugh. Excuse you, I'm <laughs> sobbing. It wasn't that kind of. I wasn't laughing down at you while you were like on the ground crying. I was laughing like, "Yeah, man!" Like we read this book four, four or five times now, and it's like hit the same way. It just you have to laugh at it. Just. It, yeah, in a good way, you know. I'm I'm really 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 excited to get to the wrap party because I think it'll be fun to kind of do a big, without having to specifically go chapter by chapter. I think it'll be really fun mm. to kind of go through the whole 
like a book discussion about it as a book. Bird's eye view of all the acts and obviously talk about the events uh, that take place in the epilogue, which I think are, um, I, won't say, I won't say much more about it, but I'm excited for Junior and Lisa. If, I don't know if you guys have already read it, to read the epilogue. I did read oh, it. Oh, shit. So did I. Oh, shit. Well, with that, people, <laughs> we will leave it with that because we don't want to get too deep in that because I'm really excited to talk to you guys when we stop recording. But thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. We love having you. And I look forward to wrapping up season one of the Unlock Tomb podcast. Um, we appreciate all you guys' support. And I look forward to creating more content for you guys in the future. That's going to be it for this one. We'll see you in the next one. Stay wicked. Love is a god